Welcome to HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance. This is a special podcast episode featuring lessons learned from Houston-based Memorial Hermann on healthcare organization disaster preparedness strategies. In this interview with HFMA Managing Editor Nick Hutt, Brian Dean, CEO of Memorial Hermann Texas Medical Center, shares how his hospital prepared for and responded to Hurricane Harvey in 2017. This is Nick Hutt, Managing Editor with HFMA. I'm speaking with Brian Dean, who is the CEO of Memorial Hermann Texas Medical Center in Houston. Uh, We're just a few weeks past the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Harvey, which devastated the Houston area and ranks with Hurricane Katrina among the two costliest storms in the history of the mainland United States. We'll speak with Brian about how his hospital planned for and dealt with the disaster. Brian, thank you for taking time to join us. It's a pleasure to be here. I first of all wanted to ask for you personally, how many consecutive days or hours did you spend at the hospital during the storm? And what are some of the most vivid memories you have of that whole time? The storm rolled in on a Saturday night. And I think by about 11 p.m. that Saturday, roads became impassable. So we were, I was at home at the time. We'd been at the hospital all day Saturday thinking the storm was going to hit then. And We kind of put our emergency plans in place, and the hospital was in a good position, so I lived close to the hospital. About 1 o'clock a.m. on Sunday is when uh, uh, we got on the call system kind of response as it relates to staffing, and we were well prepared from the inside the walls of the hospital. So I walked into the hospital Sunday morning and returned back to my house Wednesday evening. It was a good, solid three and a half or four days of living in the hospital, sleeping in the office, and um, certainly a lot of our staff and medical staff were also living the same arrangements as as I was. So it was certainly a unique experience. I can only imagine. So as we consider the preparations that uh, Memorial Hermann Texas Medical Center made with the storm in the forecast, uh, what were some of the steps that you took to make sure that you were as prepared as you could possibly be? On a coastal city as Houston is and having lived through a couple of other tropical events in the last 15 or 20 years, I think we've got a pretty robust process of preparing. And while you see the storm and you have that kind of visibility of what's coming your direction, you're never, I think, fully prepared. You can take the necessary steps. So, you know, we were as kind of the views of a fairly intense rain event, flooding event, you know, we were planning to have food supplies that would last us uh, seven days. So, you know, working with a lot of our vendors and our distributors to ensure we had medical supplies and food rations and everything that we needed. I think we were we were well prepared um, as it relates to infrastructure inside the hospital. Obviously, we had our staff on alert and, you know, everybody is assigned to specific response teams or ride-out teams. So, all those were in place, and we do that, obviously, the planning for that outside of hurricane season. So it was one of those elements where, you know, I felt like we had all of our generators were set. You know, there was uh, back in Tropical Storm Allison, this Texas Medical Center campus was flooded and evacuated for over 60 days and closed. And, you know, we are the busiest level one trauma center in the country. So when you lose a critical community asset like that uh, due to natural disaster, it really does kind of cripple the safety net for the city. So having those learnings historically and then coming back and applying them to kind of today's events, I think we've, we've done a lot of infrastructure uh, enhancements uh, with the help of FEMA. 
uh, since Tropical Storm Alice, and it allowed us to ride out the storm pretty well this time. Once the storm hit, how much of your response did you find was going according to plan in contrast to anything that might have adjust, uh, required you to adjust or, or even improvise? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I think, you know, in, in normal tropical storm or hurricane events, the, the event happens over, you know, a period of hours and then you kind of roll into recovery. And I think that was our plan. That's how we had kind of outlined this was going to work. I think through the first part of the storm, it really wasn't a windstorm, obviously. It was a rain event, which I think we were adapting after we got through about 12 hours and kind of continual rainfall. Internally, we were doing well. We had uh, adequate medical staff. We had uh, adequate clinical staff and leadership on the ground. And, and I thought we were well positioned for that. We were obviously very well coordinated with our uh, Southeast Texas uh, emergency response coordinating body, which uh, was doing a great job managing the, the storm. I think where we started to get kind of the adaptive approach was as the rain kept coming and the inability to navigate the community in any way. And if that's, you know, transitioning out clinical staff or transitioning out medical staff, that became a significant issue for us. You know, you just couldn't travel on the roads and it wasn't a matter of hours. It, you know, it became days uh, that many roads were impassable and parts of the city were cut off. So, you know, one of the one of the uniquenesses, I guess, of Memorial Hermann, and I think a real a real asset for us in the community is our life flight program. We own six helicopters. We had positioned them safely outside of the community to ensure they didn't get damaged and and the ability to respond once we the city came back online. And we actually leveraged the helicopter capacity to help move resources, be it uh, medical staff, uh, around our own system because I think at the Medical Center Academic Campus, we had adequate medical staff where some of our community colleagues did not have enough. So we were flying some physicians, critical medical resources to some of the other facilities in other parts of the city that were even in more dire straits than the medical center was. So we were flying medicines uh, from Austin uh, down to the Houston community that allowed us to kind of navigate around some of the logistical issues being created. I think the other element that we were adjusting to pretty rapidly is trying to, we had 700 patients in our hospital during the storm. And, you know, as any preparation, we were trying to discharge and return patients to the community as much as we could before the storm. But we had a very high census and we had adequate staffing, but the logistical problems that we ran into around, you know, simple things about if we can't bring in ride-out teams, the ride-out teams we're in, we can't bring in the recovery teams because they can't get to the hospital. Now you're sleeping and trying to rotate staff so that we create a safe environment. That that then became you're running a partial hotel for your own employees and visitors that might have been there and also making sure you're taking care of patients. And so that became, I think, a kind of on our feet problem solving. And we worked through and, you know, we had some issues with one of the uh, neighboring hospitals in the medical center that had flooded out their kitchen. So you think about environmental services or food services staff who generally rely on public transportation to come into work. They were unable to get into work, and now we were serving meals for neighboring hospital staff as well. So, you know, obviously we all linked arms in the community to, to get that solved, but, you know, we were 
it was very dynamic, kind of at the heart of the storm before things started to open up and move. And Texas Medical Center, uh, for those who don't know, it's, it's really a, a giant medical campus, correct? So was there a collaboration with uh, other facilities? Yeah, we and we all kind of share some utilities and we're relatively fierce competitors in normal times. And, you know, the whole medical center, the medical school that uh, is our partner, uh, we were well coordinated with them. And obviously, to the degree we needed to share clinical resources or, you know, medications or short supply, it was a quick phone call away and we're all well coordinated in that regard. As far as collaboration internally, just uh, with Memorial Hermann, what can you really say about about what it takes in terms of teamwork to execute a sustained response to to a large scale disaster like Harvey? You know, it is critical because we've got you know 16 hospitals in the Memorial Hermann network, all located in the greater Houston area. So, you know, what we found um, a the coordinating efforts, if it was you know, we had support services and let's call it corporate functions that sit in one part of the city. And I think the ability when manpower became such a critical need, even if they weren't clinical resources, an extra set of hands, the ability to get folks who, you know, normally don't necessarily come to work every day in a hospital to go and help support uh, you know, if it's transporting patients or helping food, uh, serve meals, that was that was extremely important as it relates to, you know, a system-wide coordinated response. The other element, kind of going back to, you know, maximizing the resources our system has, parts of the city uh, and other parts of um, our care delivery sites were more impacted than others. So we had the ability, we had to evacuate one of our community hospitals for 72 hours because of the risk of a breach of a, a levy. So, you know, that was a significant coordination to transfer those patients to one of our other facilities that wasn't necessarily in a high-risk flood environment. Um, and all of that was centrally manned through our uh, command center. We dr- we do drills with similar situations, so, you know, those those elements are really important. Obviously, communication. We were on uh, conference calls about every two hours during the height of the storm, and you know, pretty well coordinated in terms of what the needs were at each individual campus. And you know, I think it goes back to we are, you know, really important that your medical staffs involved with that, and you know, everybody was obviously willing to sacrifice either their own personal stuff, because a lot of our staff, a lot of our medical staff, you know, had homes flooded through this process. This storm certainly uh, didn't discriminate at all. And so, you know, a lot of those people left their homes knowing that when they returned, if it was three or four days later, that they were going to have a whole lot of work ahead of them to put it back together. And as you reflect on on the storm, and I'm sure as a CEO, that's one of the things you're proudest about is all hands on deck approach that everyone used to sort of survive and thrive during such a, uh, a turbulent time. But as you reflect on, on the performance, what are you proudest of in terms of how the hospital overall conducted itself and performed yeah. during that time? Yeah, you know, I think the, the willingness of, obviously, our staff to sacrifice for our patients. You know, we had people, and there's videos that are out there of our nurses who were kayaking into work because they knew, you know, that we needed the, the clinical help uh, with the high census. I think that that's something that you, 
you see kind of the, and obviously the staff and our clinicians are, are patients first, and you saw them kind of lay down what they had to do at home, uh, put themselves perhaps in a little bit of harm's way to get into the hospital to take care of the patients. The other, the other kind of, I guess, proud moment is that while we did carry such a large census in a fairly strained environment, you know, we had no safety events at all. For both our staff, everybody remained safe. Uh, our patients remained safe, and you know that that I think is a as an outcome measure that we're really proud of. But it also speaks to the preparation uh, that you have to put into situations like this because you know you you don't want to compromise patient safety while you're also dealing with a natural disaster, and and that's something that I think we did really well on. And conversely, you spoke about. A lot of things that really can't be anticipated, no matter how, how, how much you prepare. If there is a next time, and hopefully there won't be, what would the hospital consider doing differently? I think if you look back at the ability to have the resources, the people lined up, I think knowing now that we've had three kind of 500-year floods now in the last four years. So the ability to get the logistics solved, and even you see some of the local governments and municipalities buying high-water vehicles, and that's, you know, I've, I think the ability to have a more robust uh, surge plan, maybe is the right word for staffing, that we've got the modes of transportation to go get people uh, if we have, you know, a major high-water event that, uh, you know, is a five-day duration again. And I think that the coordination with the local governments uh, was well done through this process. I think through FEMA and other resources, I know that we're trying to gain access to technology or vehicles that will allow us to resolve some of the logistical issues that, that, that Harvey presented for us. And of course, obviously hoping we never have to pull them out of the garage. Uh, but that's something I think going forward that you know we have to look at staffing in the long run. The other element, we had the opportunity to meet with some folks from CMS after the storm as they were here helping us recover. You know, the, there are, and especially in the Texas Medical Center, it's not just the Memorial Hermann campus, but also our, our colleagues down the street, is that, you know, we provide such a high quaternary level of care that require really specialized uh, clinicians and the ability if you now have a very small uh, a smaller pool of individuals that can care for the specialized group of patients that that then becomes a little bit more of a, a broader issue if you have staffing problems where people can't get to the hospital and yeah we were fortunate we had some a lot of our colleagues around the country were obviously reaching out asking for if they could help in any way and you know, we ended up taking up some offers from folks around the country for neonatal ICU nurses, as an example. And those people were gracious enough to come help us staff during the kind of recovery phases of the storm. So, you know, that that's something where I think that a national coordinating effort is helpful. And obviously, you had the, the storms in Florida that were right behind Harvey that also kind of put pressure on the, the national response as well. But, you know, all of those are, are good learnings as we prepare uh, for what will be the next storm at some point in the future. I heard your um, presentation on this very topic at our HFMA's conference in late, late June, and your co-presenters were with 
Orlando Health and University Medical Center of Las Vegas, both of their hospitals had to deal with the aftermath of uh, the two worst mass shootings in, in U.S. history. So are there any lessons that you can carry over from your response to Hurricane Harvey that might also apply to a different type of, of disaster or emergency scenario where maybe you wouldn't have as much or any advance notice? It's all about preparation on any of any type of disaster uh, preparedness. And I think the benefit, obviously, as you referenced, the, if you have a natural disaster like a hurricane, you see it coming, you have time to prepare. And you've actually done those before, right? Because we've had storms before. I think what's unique about the Pulse nightclub and the Las Vegas shooting and intriguing to hear their events as well is, you know, that's a very real-time issue where uh, you're responding and reacting uh, without the same amount of time to prepare. I think as we've learned from those type of events that our work in terms of drilling with inside the hospital, if it's for, you know, mass casualty situations, active shooter scenarios, which are, are things that are new, I think, to our space. We haven't those, you know, if you go back in time in healthcare, you know, it was kind of like the fire drills that had to be done every week was about the extent of the drilling that took place. And just with the evolution of the world around us, you know, requires hospital leaders to think differently in terms of how we have to prepare our organizations for the unexpected. You could walk that forward into now kind of cyber attacks as it relates to, you know, our reliance on the electronic medical record. What happens if um, and drill for those things. And, you know, you, you can prepare, you can only prepare enough for unplanned events. And then it becomes, you know, executing upon the plan. And I think in real time, as with storms, and I think with the Orlando and Las Vegas shootings, you've planned and you've drilled, and then you're kind of making real-time decisions as the dynamics change around you during the height of the event. Healthcare has taken a, a fairly strong leadership position, I think, in this and and obviously ensuring that our patients and employees and physicians are safe inside our own hospitals during these events. But obviously, we're such a critical uh, first responder, so to speak, in these events that uh, we have to be at the top of our game during those uh, scenarios. And I recall you mentioning that uh, level one trauma centers drill together on various types of scenarios. Is that right? That is right. There's a lot of coordination, and the folks in Orlando who obviously have a very busy level one trauma center and our trauma center here, uh, you know, we do a lot of knowledge sharing, also do drills together. You know, we go, they come here to observe ours, we go there to observe theirs, to learn, to give them feedback. They give us feedback such that, you know, it is coordinated. I think it is a, the trauma world is a fairly small fraternity of hospitals and, and physicians in that space. And I think we're, we're certainly well aligned in trying to make sure we get the outcome we desire from any type of event. And uh, that's a, I think that's important. It's, it's a critical success because, again, the ability to, to gain knowledge and experience from what others have gone through is important because, you know, there will be some day that perhaps that situation occurs in your hospital. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for sharing your experiences and your insight. And, and we thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Keeping up with trends in consumerism and disruptive innovation is critical to improving health outcomes and your organization's financial performance. The good news is you don't have to face these challenges alone. At this year's Revenue Cycle Conference, you'll collaborate on key takeaways and come away with strategies and tactics to make your organization's revenue cycle more accurate, efficient, and patient-focused. Register now at hfma.org rcc and join us in Denver October 21st through the 23rd. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association. Sound editing is by Julian Suga. HFMA's president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend or colleague if you like what you're hearing. If you're a healthcare provider with a story to share, or if you'd just like to get in touch with our team, you can email us at podcast at hfma.org. We'd love to hear from you.